0: I'm Chris. Hi, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. A podcast bringing you all things horror wrapped up in a bunch of glittery tinsel. For your holiday enjoyment. That's right. The temperatures here in Texas have dropped from a sweltering 90 degrees to a frigid 68. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I think it's a little colder than that.
0: (laughs) Well, we're definitely getting into the holiday spirit here with these chillier temperatures. And it's time to start watching some of these holiday horror movies that we're both so fond of. Yeah. And your
1: first Christmas gift is Krampus.
0: That's right. Um, I'm a huge fan of Christmas horror movies. And um, this one really just took me by surprise at how much I liked it immediately, and I was super looking forward to talk about it.
1: Well, did it really surprise you? Because, of course, this is directed by Michael Doherty, who also did Trick or Treat, which we are both in love with for
0: Halloween. I will say that when I saw Krampus, I had already seen Trick or Treat, but when I went to go see the movie, I didn't realize that he was the director of it. So I had no idea. Yeah, I just really wanted to see the movie. Oh,
1: yeah. I knew it was him, and I knew that he was doing it. I never caught in the theater. I don't know what was happening in my life that I did not see this, but I really, really wanted to see it. I was really looking forward. To it. I just never really did until Robert showed it to me the other day
0: oh I love it so much um, my husband actually went to go see this in the theater with me and he never does that and he actually loves this horror movie and that's a rarity It's a yeah. Christmas miracle
1: yeah well it is a dark fantasy comedy or right. yeah <laughs> it's a dark fantasy comedy horror that's, that's how Wikipedia describes it anyway.
0: A dark comedy, fantasy, horror adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all of them. Tragedy. Wrapped up in a pretty package. With a twist. <laughs> like my cocktail.
1: Yeah. So Krampus came out in 2015. And of course, it's based on the eponymous character from Austro-Bavarian folklore. And it was, uh, like we said, it was directed by Michael Doherty, but it was also written by Michael Doherty and uh, co-written by Todd Casey and Zach Shields. The film stars Adam Scott, Tony Collette, David Ketchner of... was it no. anchorman anchorman mm-hmm. no. uh allison tolman conchata farrell mj ugh, i'm not gonna go through all these names some of
0: these people have like some serious horror cred behind them too so i, mean, this is what I like when a lot of actors have a lot of like a horror path to them and so like tony collette obviously was in this year's hereditary <clears throat> which she was marvelous in and most importantly she was nominated for a best supporting actress award for the sixth sense
1: oh yeah and uh, adam scott was actually just recently in a horror film for netflix right a uh, little evil. I haven't watched it. Yet. Yeah, I have. It was actually pretty good. It's it's really
0: high on my list.
1: I love seeing clowns set on fire. So,
0: Alison <laughs> uh, Tolman was in The Gift a couple years ago, and most recently she was in Castle Rock, the Stephen King series on Hulu, and she plays the aunt.
1: Right, this, right. Mm-hmm. Tony Collette's sister. That's right. Yeah,
0: Conchata Farrell I think is grossly underappreciated as a comedic actress. So, and I'm sure that we'll talk about that more later on. Right? Oh
1: yeah. And unlike Trick or Treat, Krampus, someone, someone I guess got educated and actually released Krampus in theaters, and it got a worldwide total gross of like sixty one and a half million dollars against a budget of only fifteen million. So it's four times.
0: It did fairly well in the United States yeah. too. Uh, like it's, I know that uh, it's it's opening night that Thursday night when they have those first showings. It raked in quite a bit of money, and that. We weekend it did well it opened second at the box office and I think the only reason it didn't get number one is because it opened alongside one of the Hunger Games sequels and I mean that's just going to squash Mm -hmm. it no matter what. What's interesting is that it was not screened for critics at all.
1: That's true. Although it did get a 66% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes from critics. Mm-hmm. Uh, their consensus is that Krampus is good, gory fun for fans of non-traditional holiday horror with a fondness for Joe Dante's B-movie classics, even if it doesn't have quite the savage bite it co- its concept calls for. But, of course, in comparison, only 51% of audiences liked it compared to the 66% of critics. So it wasn't quite as well-received as Trick or Treat was, but still for a horror movie 66% I usually like add another 10 or 15% to that because there's always like a dampener in scores for for horror films in my opinion.
0: Well, I, I don't think the audience score is even that bad really because no. the cinema score which is comprised of audience reactions post like leaving the theater when they do that it got to be minus which is I think respectable for a horror movie.
1: Sure. The music was created by composer Douglas Pipes, who also did Trick or
0: Treat. What else did he do? Monster House, I Mo- think. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think he was up for an award. For Monster House, possibly. I know Krampus itself was nominated for about 14 awards. And, you know, you know, when we talk about these awards, guys, we're usually talking about things like Saturn Awards, which it was nominated for a couple, and like Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, things like that. It's important to mention that Douglas Pipes was nominated for Krampus, um, as sort of an International Film Critics Award for Best Score.
1: Yeah, he's... He also did the Netflix film recently, The Babysitter, the score for that.
0: I haven't seen that either, so I won't have to watch that just for his music. Because, I mean, every time I see a movie that he's composed the music for, I like it quite a bit.
1: So Douglas Pipes uh, described the music as like a collection of twisted Christmas carols with pagan thrown in. Uh, he incorporated sounds of chains, bells, bones, and animal skin drums in the, uh, in the score, and he had, of course, choirs chant and whisper in different tongues. And uh, of course, during the credits, we hear the whole choir of people singing. The whole choir of people singing
0: to. Chris, oh Chris, oh I just like it because, yeah. like, it'll be a very scary Christmas. I mean, it just makes me happy every time I hear it.
1: Yeah, it's really reminiscent of uh, Jerry Goldsmith's score for *The Omen* in a way oh, yeah, when he does that. Definitely. or whatever it's called Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. well guys with all this background information let's not wait anymore this is Krampus it's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle bells Merry Christmas (laughs) looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here this is delicious honey
1: a little dry well mine's delicious
0: mine's dry do you want to trade it's, it's, it's Christmas It's Christmas It's at- <laughs> Christmas With those holiday greetings and we How are
1: we going to survive Christmas with 12 people stuck in a house with no heat and no electricity? Or food. There's plenty
0: of leftovers, Howard.
1: Beer it is. It's the weirdest thing. There's no cars, no people.
0: How long can this keep up?
1: We heard something on the roof. What the hell is this? St. Nicholas is not coming this year.
0: Instead, a much darker ancient spirit Those are hooves elk or a goat? What kind of goat walks on its hind legs? His name is Krampus He and his helpers did not come to give but to take Everybody hold on to each other He is the shadow of St. Nicholas.
1: It's Christmas. Nothing bad's gonna happen on Christmas. It's three days before Christmas, and the Engel family returns home from a terrifyingly frantic trip to the Mucho Mart, also known as... Hell's department store. Oh my God, it was a terrible place. Oh my gosh. To start their holiday preparations. Tightly wound Sarah, played by Tony Collette, and reserved Tom, played by Adam Scott, have to punish their child Max, played by MJ Anthony, for getting into a fight for defending his Christmas beliefs. Max, unlike his older sister Beth, still believes in Santa and cherishes the holiday season, a tradition shared by his grandmother Omi, Max's Austrian grandmother, played by Krista Stadler. At his Omi's urging, Max writes his letter to Santa, Meanwhile, the Ingalls' extended family arrives, including his Aunt Linda, played by Allison Tolman, and Uncle Howard, played by David Ketchner, along with their children Howie Jr., Stephen, Jordan, and baby Chrissy. An unexpected arrival is Max's great aunt, Dorothy, a handful of a woman. (laughs) When his cousins steal and mock his letter to Santa, Max tears up the letter and throws it out the window. Later that night, a severe blizzard engulfs the town and causes a power outage. The next morning, Max's sister Beth ventures out to check on her boyfriend, but is chased by a large horned creature. She hides beneath a delivery truck, but the creature leaves a jack-in-the-box, which attacks and presumably kills her. Tom and Howard leave to search for Beth, finding her boyfriend's house in ruins with the chimney split open and large goat-like hoof prints in the house. Outside, the two are attacked by an unseen monster under the snow. They quickly return home and board up the windows. Later, a large hook with a living gingerbread man attached lures Howie Jr. to the chimney, and he's dragged up the chimney despite the family's efforts to save him. Omi explains the creature hunting them is none other than Krampus, an ancient demonic spirit who punishes those who have lost their Christmas spirit. Omi recounts that when she was a child, her parents and community lost their Christmas cheer, and she unwittingly summoned Krampus when she wished they would all just go away, as she burnt her Santa doll in the fireplace. Krampus dragged everyone but her to the underworld, leaving behind a strange, dark Christmas ornament bell with his name on it. The family remains skeptical of Omi's story until monstrous toys, hidden in presents delivered earlier, come to life. Gingerbread men, a rabid teddy bear, a knife happy robot, and a sadistic angel doll attack the family while one of Max's cousins is swallowed by Dare Clown, a giant, hideous, worm like Jack in the Box.
0: <laughs> Dare Clown.
1: Dare Clown. <laughs> the family attempts to fend off the toys, only for Krampus's elves to leap in through the window and violently abduct Max's great aunt Dorothy, Uncle Howard, and baby Chrissy. Tom decides the family should flee for an abandoned snowplow on the streets outside. On their way, Omi sacrifices herself to distract Krampus, who emerges from the fireplace, attacking her with his bag of toys. Stick your head deep down in my Christmas sack. <laughs> Outside, Max's dad Tom and mom Sarah and Aunt Linda are dragged into the snow while his cousin Stevie is captured by the elves. Krampus confronts Max, giving him a bell ornament wrapped in a piece of his discarded letter to Santa. Max honestly apologizes for losing his Christmas spirit, and although Krampus seems to accept his apology, he snickers along with his underlings before tossing Max into the underworld nonetheless. Max awakens in his house on Christmas morning, discovering his family alive and well downstairs, believing that what had happened was just a nightmare, but then he unwraps a present containing Krampus' ornament, and to their horror, the family collectively remembers the previous night. Viewing the Engel family's house from above, it's revealed that they're actually inside a snow globe, amongst many others in Krampus's workshop, under his watchful and gleeful gaze. Michael Doherty had always wanted to do a, a scary Christmas movie, I think even before he made Trick or Treat, but the idea didn't really take form until his friend sent him an e-card featuring the Krampus creature, which was, according to him, just... Love it for a sight.
0: Well, I think too, because I I read something about that as well. And it it happened like many years ago like decades ago and it didn't really start to take form in his brain until you know after or he started writing it
1: yeah the like project that, didn't right? actually take place like actually start organizing it until like 2011 at which point that's when he teamed up with Zach Shields and Todd Casey to actually figure out the story
0: when he clearly loves his holiday work I mean trick-or-treat is you know a horror love story to Halloween and Krampus is the exact same thing just at Christmas and so I mean this man could make an entire career just making movies about holidays like I'd love to see he would do it like Easter or Valentine's Day or like Arbor Day or something. I mean, I'm sure he can find a way to make it a fun movie to watch.
1: Yeah, well, it is a fun movie to watch. And they make sure from the start, because the movie opens when they're at Mucho Mart, which is obviously a riff off of Walmart. right? And there's a reason why in the synopsis we say it's like Hell's Department Store, because it's kind of surreal, because they're trying to combine all of these holiday experiences Mm -hmm. in one little like opening credit sequence. You see the Black Friday shoppers like clamoring over each other. You see employees falling off ladders, presumably breaking their necks. You see like all the pictures, the family pictures being taken. You see like a a school play being done there. Like it's all in one place. And you see the the pictures with Santa. I mean, like all that stuff's happening and there's always like a weird dark kind of twist to it, like dark comedy twist and the kind of slapstick. That's where Max gets in the fight with the the bully where you kind of find out later it was about santa being real versus not real oh yeah he
0: gives that bully like a face full of snow fake snow right yeah, there's
1: yeah. a there's a family portrait that was done where they look she's printing out later at home and she sees like oh santa's looking at my daughter's ass you know <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> in the picture
0: I that's mean, disappointing. but if, if that's supposed to be, if we're supposed to believe this is three days before Christmas, we've all been in that position where we forgot to buy a gift for somebody or we needed one last thing for our Christmas celebration. You have to venture out into these stores a couple days before Christmas, if not Christmas Eve, like I've done a couple times. And it's almost like that. You would think it'd be a ghost town, but no, it's filled to the brim. And everybody at Christmas time just seems to be in the worst fucking mood half yeah. the time. Yeah. So, I mean, in this intro, we see people people just crying <laughs> and like the, all the workers just look punching so each other and, yeah, yeah I mean it's just all sad and, and whatnot and I, I really like the start of this movie not even just the opening credit sequence but the, the intro to it because the first you know almost half of the movie is just a straight up family Christmas movie yeah I mean it just shows you some of the, the real life horrors of what Christmas can bring and do
1: to you and this movie takes a lot of or has a lot of homages in it especially the first part after the credit sequence it just really reminds me Of um, a Christmas vacation. Oh, yeah, definitely. The Chevy Chase, yeah.
0: I mean, but I mean, as far as like call outs go, I mean, like one of the very first things, and we all know that uh, Michael Doherty likes to do this. I mean, he will go back to other movies and he will just have the smallest. Like visual reference or cue to remember things that he appreciates, right? And so, like, one of the first things you see in this this credit sequence is a boy with a black eye wearing, you know, one of those ski caps that come over the ears with his red hair coming out of it. And he's sort of like modeled after the bully from A Christmas Story. Yeah,
1: there's yeah. a lot of that. There's a Christmas story, a Christmas carol, It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas Vacation, of course, and Gremlins later on. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's all of these kind of homages and touches here and there. And they're not ripoffs at all, but they all, it, it's, this movie is completely its own thing but it kind of honors those films in a way all in one movie and
0: that's what he does i mean and like he spent a great portion of trick or treat doing an homage to charlie brown and he sort of does it here too the kids are watching a show on one of the tablets and it's sort of this claymation looking rudolph show that we're all aware of but what that elf is actually saying is linus's speech from the charlie brown christmas special i mean yeah so they he, did their he own throws mashup. everything in there that he wants to and exactly yeah um, he had gone on record in an interview saying that um, he he thinks that movies like It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol are actually horror movies. They're sort of nightmares of broken individuals being scared straight and they have to experience the dark side of intervention. And that's sort of the movie that he wanted to make, take that route of A Christmas Story. And
1: they know. are. And I was actually thinking because we were also doing a new Patreon segment about kind of our first Experiences are most like uh, formative experiences with horror and scenes that kind of formed our sense of horror movies and horror scenes in general. And I felt like maybe some of our earliest, maybe this is true for all of us, where some of our first experiences of the horror is actually in Christmas stories, like a Christmas carol with Scrooge, you know, and the ghost of Christmas past and all of that, because you're dealing with ghosts and chains and, you know, and having to deal with your past and all the horror involved with, with being alone in the dark at night and the cold, you know, mm-hmm. and all of that's there in a Christmas carol. And so I, I was thinking about it, it was hard. I'm hard pressed to find something earlier than that, because, you know, as children, we're all all allowed to see Christmas
0: movies. Oh, it's it's true. I mean, the movies that he mentions, It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol, they all start with people sort of like losing their faith either in Christmas itself or humanity or themselves. And these are all things that I think a lot of people experience at Christmas time. I mean, despite like horrors like Black Friday and the very definite like capitalism and greed and stuff going on, people racking themselves into debt. You have things like dysfunctional family gatherings that really like make you sad or like personal reflection. And if you happen to feel very alone at Christmas time. And a lot of people get like severely depressed or have some sort of blue Christmas.
1: But yeah, and this movie is chock full of everything that you feel at Christmas. Like right. you look forward to it, but at the same time there's all that stress and kind of frustration with family or or whatever else is going on. And just this film is just chock full of all of that, not just homages to other Christmas films, but all the feelings and all the the visuals for Christmas.
0: And that's true. I mean, for every person who is like so obsessed with, with Christmas themselves and they walk around in this this happy environment and they're just so joyful all season long, there's probably five, you know, yeah. who are just overwhelmed by the entire experience. And it's it's not unthinkable to have a character like Max, like his grandmother, like Scrooge. You know, or any of these people that we've seen in film experience a darker, more depressive side of Christmas. And you can see how easy it is to sort of lose your spirit and your hope to bring about all the events that happen not only in Krampus, but in these other movies that we've mentioned. Yeah. Uh, some more pop culture call-outs uh, are like they, they mentioned a noodle incident at one point briefly, right? And this, this sort of like harkens back to the Calvin and Hobbes comic book strip that uh, it mentioned, his mom mentions all the time of, of the noodle incident that, that Calvin did. We never really find out what that is in the comic strip we never really find out in the movie either so yeah Krampus
1: also leaves it unexplained but they're like Max is getting in trouble because he's defending Christmas and all that and he's kind of a problem child but he's a a golden heart you know they love him he's not really He's. I don't want to say he's a problem child but he has a proclivity we'll say
0: (laughs) Yes, and then there was that noodle incident with Max, and, <laughs> and
1: he, yeah, <laughs> they leave it unexplained. But it's, yeah, that's a Calvin and Hobbes reference, and I, I loved it.
0: Uh, a friend of ours watched the movie with us as well, and she mentioned um, that it reminded her of where the Wild Things are, and that sort of sparked a whole discussion with us after the movie as well. Yeah,
1: he was wearing a, a onesie
0: and very reminiscent with the tail and all that, like reminiscent of the Wild Things outfit. And let's not forget that the main character in that children's book's name is Max. That's true. So, and and it's just another idea of a child like wishing to be away from his family and sort of getting thrust into something that he wasn't quite prepared for and wanting to go back. Home. Yeah,
1: there's a yeah. there's a big like, be careful what you wish for trope here mm-hmm. that we also see on those other Christmas movies.
0: Uh, we've already said that there's some call outs to Gremlins like with the gingerbread man. Um, all the toys in this movie are almost a direct call out from a movie from the 90s called Demonic Toys. Yeah. And in that there's an evil teddy bear an evil Jack in the box an evil doll and and an evil robot. That's so true. I mean it's just like like he, he pulled that straight from the 90s. Uh, there's some echoes of Tremors in this movie with the little worm creature that burrows under the snow. And all you see is it's like bun- Bugs Bunny trail behind it. Right. Yeah. And sucking people into the ground very much like it did in Tremors. Or
1: even before Tremors with Dune. Right. With the worm sign and stuff.
0: And I mean, so like when the Tremors worms open their mouths, Dirk Clown, whenever he opens his mouth, is very similar to the Tremors worm. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it also just kind of sucks them down, you know, so it's right. almost like a mechanism you know to remove characters from this movie they're all just dropping like flies all down this movie
0: I think one of the most surprising horror call outs that we found in this movie uh, goes back to Ridley Scott's Alien yeah Um, There's a lot, actually, leading up to um, when Howard and Tom are exploring the neighborhood and they come across that snowplow for the first time. And there's this rotating emergency light on the top of it. And it just really brings back that feeling from Alien of in the Nostromo, there's lights going on all around. They're sort of being hunted by an unseen thing that they themselves are trying to find somewhat. And it just really creates that mood. Yeah and also
1: I noticed during that scene like he noticed the light I noticed the music and what they're doing with like the jingle bells subtle jingle bells in the in the soundtrack is very reminiscent to like the motion detector or some of the little um, instrumental accoutrements that they did in the scores for both Alien and Aliens in the background just to create that creepy creepy kind of echoey atmosphere and they did that very well in Krampus and it was just like a straight call out especially that scene between that light and the atmosphere and the mood and what they were doing and the music it was a straight call out to Alien and Aliens I think
0: yeah he sent me some some clips to listen to and I listened to him in the comparison and just the the, the similarities between them are outstanding yeah It's just another reason why this director um, obviously loves the source material that he finds inspiration from, just like we like to watch those movies as well.
1: Yeah. And another reason why he keeps using Douglas Pipes for his music. Right. Let's talk a little bit about Krampus himself before we kind of move
0: on. Oh, it's just more German in our horror movie watching. Oh, yeah. Suspiria. We have done. just <laughs> So we covered the, you know, 1977 Suspiria and then we did a hot take on the new Suspiria. And now we have a woman who speaks German all all the way through Krampus. I mean, how more Germanic can we get in our horror preferences? <laughs>
1: well, I love it. I don't really have a problem with that. I don't really have a problem. Some people oh, wait, do either. have a problem with subtitles. This film obviously has much, much much less German than say the new Suspiria film does which Mm -hmm. is like half German but um, I really it it does bring some authenticity to it especially I feel like they needed that for the whole Krampus mythology which is of course real Uh, in America most people don't really know about it Um, but like some folklorists and mythologists say that Krampus actually has pre-Christian roots which is to me obviously true basically based on what I know about the children stealing supernatural beings in mythology I feel like it has to be true. Um, in fact, parts of the Santa Claus persona may have come from those darker roots mixed in like with the 11th century popularity of St. Nicholas in Germany or, you know, in that area of Europe. And actually, uh, which is actually, of course, based on the 4th century Greek Christian bishop, St. Nicholas, right? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so uh yeah he didn't he was an actual person mm-hmm. and he was canonized and this all of this kind of stuff kind of mixed together like so many other things that happen with like between paganism and other religions in Europe with um, and, and integration into Rome. And I'm well, there are to...
0: some who believe that um, when people were trying to popularize Christianity, they had to sort of bring in some of these pagan influences to get people to convert.
1: Right? Yeah,
0: yes, that's a whole
1: thing. Uh, basically, whenever you're trying to integrate another culture, you're going to say like, a, look, let's let's take what's important to them and kind of merge it with what's important to us. And some of that happened uh, maybe organized in an organized fashion, but I yeah. think a lot of that had just happens organically.
0: Yeah, or incidentally. Yeah, I over whatever. time. Time. I mean, um, even if you convert, you're still going to have some sort of family tradition from the, you know, your past that is going to influence anything that you do.
1: Sure. And Santa, as he is today, is basically an amalgam between the, the pagan supernatural mythology, along with Norse mythology or Odin, uh, the Father Christmas legends, uh, which from... Northern Europe was like Father Christmas, like the spirit of Christmas was not the same thing as Santa, um, along with, of course, St. Nicholas, Christian values and culture, and of course, now Coca-Cola. I was
0: going to say, of course, now all he does now is like shill his Coke products, right? Well, yeah.
1: that's the, the the present image of oh, yeah. Santa is based on Coca-Cola marketing. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, it has a, it's a very Norman Rockwell kind of Americana feeling. So, I mean, I, I get it. And, and... So, yeah, Krampus was
1: a supernatural entity and like so many other things mixed with Chris, Christian culture and ultimately a assimilated into the Christian Devil.
0: Well, and I know that it's still a huge part of, of German or Austro-German culture today that people still celebrate Krampusnacht once a year. And they have like these Krampus parades and Krampus runs where people, grown men, will dress up, you know, as Krampus. Yeah, In Austria
1: and Southern Germany, they have the, yeah. the Krampus runs
0: where the grown-up men just go around frightening children And on those costumes yeah. are
1: really like They're amazing! Awesome. Every yeah.
0: time I see them, I'm like, God, oh, these people put so much time and love into it. And I would love to go just see one in person. And also,
1: it's like a culturally... Like, like okay night to go like parade through the streets and purposely scare children. That's the whole point. Like,
0: um, as somebody who's lived in Germany for part of their life, is Halloween a big deal over there? No, I was going to say, no, I mean, cause I can't imagine how wonderful it'd be to like, you know, be, be suffering the post Halloween blues and, and then, Oh, but don't worry. Krampus knocked his so You can dress up again. I mean, my God, that's going to be great. Yeah. There's a lot more wrapped up in Christmas than I would say even here. Oh, you know, yeah. and so there's just a lot more to Christmas mm-hmm. in, in Germany. Well, it's got to be really neat. I mean, I'd l- I'd love to see it in person sometime. But there is just so much yeah. German influence all over this movie, not just from like the Krampus creature itself. Uh, Max's grandmother, Tom's mom in the movie is, is German. Like Chris said, she speaks mostly German. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, we come in the first time we see her, she's just baking away for christmas making like linzer cookies and all these different like german-esque treats and um there's just like so much german all over this film
1: even the look of krampus is mostly german they have the cloven hooves and the horns Mm -hmm. but you know and all all of this comes from like the ancient like pan mythologies and stuff but of course we would view as like the satan imagery but apparently a lot of people came out of the movie kind of wondering what was up with krampus's face when he's revealed because i thought it was He's literally wearing a wooden mask that looks like Santa, like a dark, evil Santa Claus. But it was done so well and so detailed that I thought that was actually what they were trying to do for his face. But it just wouldn't move. And so I was confused. Like, are they trying to do like a prosthetic kind of thing, like an effect? Or is that actually a mask? Because you can see his eyes behind it. And then you see like a really long slithery tongue Tongue. come out at one point. But apparently I wasn't the only one that was kind of confused by that. I feel like they should have done it a little bit more like the elves in this movie who were like really stylized, almost cartoonish.
0: On the upon first viewing of this movie, I, you notice that the elves are wearing masks most definitely. And I too, seeing Krampus for the first time in the theater, I was like, well, they have so much good effects in this movie or so many good, like actual creatures. Why did they waste all their time just making this boring ass Krampus face? And it wasn't until subsequent viewings that I realized too, I was like, oh, he has a mask on as well. you know, yeah, like, it,
1: they should have made it. In my opinion, they should have made it a little bit more representational or theatrical to make it obviously a mask, right? You know, and maybe made a little bit better or more obvious reveal of his face underneath because you do see the eyes and that tongue and, and several hints of other things underneath there. But I don't know. Um, that tongue is effective. It's still the, the the mask looks cool. I mean, it's it just off putting when you don't when you see it like not moving. So it just looks like an old creature effect where it's just like a big plastic or rubber movie monster or something. And just I, I didn't quite know what they were trying to do there, but the overall
0: mouth is a gape and kind of a skew and there's, you could see the teeth and whatnot, but they just look like normal human teeth. But I mean, the minute that tongue comes out and licks his grandmother, I was just like, <laughs> <"Ooh>, shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Oh shit. Yeah.
1: Overall, this thing is huge. It can, obviously has like super jump or something. because oh, yeah, It's just it's, jumping from roof to roof.
0: He's like super Mario three for real. Yeah.
1: And he still goes down chimneys and breaks them in half in order to like, you know, come into your house, mm-hmm. which is terrifying in and of itself. And overall, I would say I was very happy with the look of, of Krampus and the representation of him in this film. I thought it was a uh, pretty cool besides that one little confusing thing.
0: I'm super happy with, all the creatures in this movie i oh, think that the man. practical effects and the creature design in this movie are incredible
1: i love the little robot i love the little angel doll annabelle's Perchster. sister angela
0: <laughs> angela <laughs> um, but
1: uh yeah and of course the the evil teddy bear my god oh my gosh i love that
0: <laughs> rabid teddy bear I but that jack
1: it. in the box that
0: jack in the box was der just clown Der clown was just over the top that was gross uh, everything, So all the horror in the second part of the movie, once we get past all the dysfunctional family parts, um, is very anti-Christmas. It's almost like the polar opposite of what we think a happy Christmas is. So mm-hmm. they take these things that we find joyful in the holiday season and personify them in the most evil ways possible yeah so like we said there's you know an, e- an evil angel ornament or doll called Perchta. uh there's a, a robot um the toothy teddy bear right yeah. but i think my favorites are the little gingerbread men I, oh yeah they crack my shit
1: but they're up. also the only things that are basically non-practical effects or in-camera right. effects in the movie because they're all every all those other toys are real but the gingerbread men have to be like 3D, you know, generated.
0: And normally, that would be the thing I like the least. Right? I mean, I always applaud practical effects. We did in Trick or Treat as well.
1: It really reminded me of Gremlins or Evil Dead or something. Yeah. Especially uh, Army of Darkness, where he, all the little ash things come out of the mirror and they're mm-hmm. attacking him. I almost wanted a, a longer scene with all the wacky hijinks of the gingerbread men, but we didn't get too much of it.
0: No. Well, yeah. and I think too, because I think he really wanted to highlight these these practical effects, these practical makeup and creatures that they they made on set, and so they didn't do the gingerbread quite as much. Maybe they didn't have the budget for that. I mean, who knows? I do know that one of those ginger men was voiced by Seth Green. <laughs> So, oh, yeah. wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. I mean, they're funny and they're, they're trying to shoot uh, Uncle Howard with a nail gun and things like that and just giggling the whole time. And all the just, toys are giggling. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're having the best time. I mean, come on. Yeah.
1: I think there's not one. I think the elves are giggling. Krampus giggles. I mean, like they're all <laughs> snickering. They're having a lovely time That's making right. everyone's Christmas a living hell. It's so. just a big party. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so we're supposed to believe, and I I think it's true, it's part of the mythology in this movie, that the summoning of Krampus comes when one has lost their holiday spirit and sort of destroys a personal memento of that particular Christmas season. So Max writes a letter to Santa Claus, which ultimately embarrasses him and gets him into trouble. And he rips it up and throws it out the window. And then a fantastic animated sequence in this movie, we see how Omi had done something very similar back when she was a child in Europe.
1: Yeah, but before you get too far into that, like, and it was, fantastic like when he throws that letter out the window and it just kind of gets consumed by the wind and the storm right. goes straight up into the sky you see a very like to me it reminded me straight out of poltergeist as soon as carol Ann kind of lets them in through the tv or whatever you see like that next day or that next night the storm clouds is coming in a very supernatural oh, right. looking storm clouds and it was almost liquid looking of and this this was like an updated effect version of that and it just reminded me so much of poltergeist and i loved it that's right. It was a really good touch.
0: When Omi recounts her story of, of how she first encountered Krampus, we are given this like fantastic animated sequence, something that I was not expecting at all in the movie, but completely blew me away just the way that it looks, the feel that it gives and her narration is just wonderful. Cause I think that's like one of the only places in the movie that she speaks English. Yeah. Right. And they really could not have those subtitles cause it would detract from all the luscious animation that was there on screen. Yeah.
1: It kind of reminded me of the animation that's in one of the later Harry Potter movies where it's discussing the three objects.
0: Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. There's a whole thing at universal studios where the, they have that. Yeah. The pre-created. invisible
1: cloak and the, the, the wand and then like the, the stone. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, it looks very much like that. It's the same style of animation. I like this part of the movie because I mean, as much as things get dysfunctional in the beginning and you're sort of like having this like traditional Christmas comedy um, and then you move into the horror, Um, it really brings back sort of an emotional backbone. And it's something that I like to see in film a lot. In fact, the first time we watched this in the theater, uh, tears were just streaming down my face during that part. As soon as her parents are fighting and she gets mad and rips her, you know, doll up a little bit and throws it in the fire. Like I was just bawling. And it was a Santa
1: doll, right? right, So yeah, Yeah. that goes back to the whole um, summoning Krampus. You have to make some sort of act of anger or, Giving up your Christmas spirit, you know, right. like an act of that to kind of represent that sort of and like that, um, and then we only have two points here. So that's not a pattern, but it seems to be what would be the case is that you have to do some sort of act representational act of giving up your Christmas spirit, giving up your hope in Christmas or your, or your happiness towards, you know, that time of year.
0: And that's something that, again, we've seen in movies like it's a wonderful life for sure. Sure. You now, so it's just continuing that sort of like Christmas horror tradition. Yeah, we took the hint. Right, we got you. <laughs> so once these toys start attacking everybody and shit really hits the fan, that's when we start to see these family get picked off sort of one by one, right? What was your favorite death? Uh, I I mean, I like the gingerbread men, so I'd like to say that boy getting sucked up the chimney, but that can't be it. I really enjoyed when um, the aunt goes... A great aunt goes crazy and starts shooting people. Oh, yeah.
1: Like, uh, she doesn't shoot people. She's shooting all the toys. Like, she takes the shotgun and she ends up, like, saving the day. Mm -hmm. And I love this character. She's probably my favorite character in the movie because she's this crotchety, older, you know, woman who's just, like, doesn't care about Christmas you know, she's just judging everything, That's but right. she is like, one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is just like, Omi's kind of starting to tell her story or later she's like talking about Krampus coming or something, but right. no one understands it's not being translated. Some things are subtitled, some aren't, mm-hmm. some things are translated by the grandson, Max, some things are not this particular time. It was not. And like, what did she say? And the the great aunt was like, she said, we're fucked. <laughs> And I was like, oh. I'm old enough to know when life's coming at you with its pants down. Oh, my God. She had so many great one-liners. And when she gets pulled out the window after she actually takes off the shotgun and kills like two of
0: the demonic toys, That's right. she just goes, see you in hell, That's and gets right. pulled out the window. It's great. I think my favorite line of hers, and this is something that, I mean, this is something that I aspire to in my older age. I have nieces and nephews, and eventually I'll have great nieces and nephews. And I can only imagine that at Christmas time, I'll say, come on, kids, I'll teach you how to make peppermint schnapps. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I do know that when this movie was being created uh, the studio would not sign on to it until they agreed to have a PG-13 version yeah. because obviously Michael Doherty likes a hard R yes he does and um, when he filmed that scene where she said let's go make some peppermint schnapps he got a note almost immediately from the studio that said no this will cause us to get an R rating take it out but he left it in and right here it is PG-13 so apparently yeah. drinking is just fine Yeah. So and Krampus itself, I mean, sort of straddles that line. I think that if they didn't make these deaths a little bit comedic, if they didn't make these monsters a little comedic, it might have gotten an R rating. Yeah. I mean, because there's there's some cursing in this movie. There's some drinking in this movie. There's some violence in this movie. It just happens to be comedically styled. The family that comes to visit the Angles is Hilarious in in their their attitudes and in you know the environment they bring into a house that's tightly wound and sort of like appearance driven as that family is.
1: Yeah, and they they kind of almost they do the Christmas vacation thing where it's like here come the Clampets, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. So they may have these, these gun toting, Hummer driving bumpkins show up.
1: Right? Yeah, but they're a lot more mainstream than, than they would have had us initially believe, I think. Oh,
0: yeah, because Randy Quaid is not going to be driving a Hummer on Christmas Vacation. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, but no, no. Um, and but thank God these people showed up because if Krampus had came and it was just this one family, they wouldn't have stood a fucking chance.
1: One thing that was weird when they first showed up is they like, like, forget their baby in the car. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, that doesn't really line up with how she like, feels about her kids later. So it's like <laughs> I was kind of in there for comedy, I feel like.
0: Yeah, that's true. Do much for me like like Tom's like "Uh, I think I remember another child and they're (laughs) like oh yeah they're like go get her won't you (laughs) yeah the one that was just born Um, and it just I mean it it really creates this dysfunction like right away as soon as they come in the house I mean not only are these two sisters sort of like have this history of bickering back and forth at each other they share moments of reconnection throughout the film staring at the Christmas tree and noticing like their mom's Christmas angel on top and her saving all these different ornaments and you get that sort of like um, yeah it shows hints in the silver linings of like this family's history and that there is a lot of love there exactly and all that comes into play later on I mean when these Toys start to really, you know, attack them and whatnot. This family bands together and fights back. And you see, like, sister saving sister and, you know, brother in law saving brother in law. And I mean, just immediately when they are shoved into having to you know, make amends for their loss of Christmas spirit, um, they really start to um, redeem themselves quickly. Yeah.
1: I would have liked a little bit more of that. Just to show the character building a little bit more because it's just like right as they kind of build that connection, someone else gets taken. And it's usually one of the people that were in that kind of scene or something Mm -hmm. building that together. And uh, that's the only thing is it happens very quickly. Like it's inevitable. Like these characters are just dropping one by one, sometimes two or three at a time. Exactly. You know, and they just can't escape it. And so, you know, they do get a chance to team up, but it's very fleeting.
0: Well, that, and yeah and that's the thing horror movies do that all the time they spend a lot of time either like building up the the, the story with exposition or characters and then eventually these characters have to disappear at some point I mean that's just you know a horror, what a horror movie is mm-hmm. and in this particular movie they spend so much time you know building up the story I would have liked to have seen you know death not happen so fast I would like to have spent a little bit more time with each of these toys instead of seeing them all at once in the attic you know yeah and there's also some
1: ambiguity with whether they're being killed at all that's true might, yeah and because we don't know what happens we don't see anything after they're taken right it's presumed that they're consumed or taken or eaten or something but you don't really there's no real gore in this movie there's no, like There's a, not at all there's well as a bite on, oh that's right, right. on uncle howard's leg from right. this like the little trimmer snow beast or whatever mm-hmm. from their first outing but uh, but other than that you just don't know so they're they don't really know that's why they're searching. Because they don't know if they were taken or if they were eaten or if they were whatever.
0: Well, and do you sort of think that they, the filmmaker, film writers do that to, to build a sense of hope, really? I mean, did you think that they were dead or did you think they were just gone? It definitely had a mechanism to it, but I would have liked to see more.
1: Like, at least like, okay, are they being injured? Are they being put into like some sort of catatonia or catatonic <laughs>
0: yeah. you know like mm-hmm. what's happening um are they being cocooned
1: somewhere but the perspective is constantly on the family there's another missed opportunity here that i that i really like it's really just my opinion and that's the the a kind of almost like a call out to the shining in a way at least the the book and maybe the miniseries is the snowman in the front yard where it's kind of alluded that if you don't look at them or whatever, they're going to move or that they are just multiplying. There's just creepy, creepy, creepy snow. And that's like the creepiest thing in the movie to me personally was those snowmen right outside their windows. And there's like kind of multiplying and some seemingly some of them getting closer. I think it was, was it you that said after we, we watched this, that it almost seemed like those were the neighbors that were being kind of placed in their front yard as they were killed or taken.
0: I think my husband said that.
1: Yeah, I think it was Rob.
0: Yeah, not yet. I'm sorry, guys. My husband's name is also Robert. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for future episodes, that might get confusing. I was like, oh, the Robs are coming. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, He he really thinks that every time Krampus gets or kills a neighbor, that it's going to show up in their yard dressed as a snowman. And he was telling us about possibly one of them wearing the sweater of the fat kid from the family you right? know and I don't dislike Howie that Junior. theory I know I mean it's interesting to think I didn't happen to notice it myself it would explain why they're kind of growing and stuff I would have liked to
1: see a snowman with a DHS hat or something from that <laughs> yeah. delivery guy but
0: well and I don't know. Too, that would sort of explain why some of them have a really like personified looking humanoid face but right? they
1: never really showed them actually moving and they never really did anything with the snowman other than just been being creepy because right. they walk right past them as Essentially, when they're going towards that uh, snowplow.
0: And you're comparing this to the hedge animals in The Shining. Yes. right, Which is the not in covered. Stanley Kubrick's f- version. No, it's not. No, it's but only it is in the miniseries th- in the book. In the book, yes. But that's an incredibly creepy scene, too. And if they had done that with those snowmen, where <sighs> you sort of have one person looking away, and you can actually see the snowmen slow- slowly creeping toward the house, you know? And again, maybe that's just something that we need to save for the sequel of course, if they're going to have one. And they constantly yeah. were calling it out.
1: The Max was like, uh, there's a snowman in our yard. Uh, there's another stuff. like look at look at the snowman you know and they see no one seems to care they're like so And it's
0: like well it wasn't there a fucking second ago like, you know this place is deserted you know like the house next
1: door like has no one in it and it's like everyone's taken it's broken and we yeah. keep getting people building snowmen on our lawn it doesn't make sense as it's creepy people get it exactly that so, kid knows what's uh, and there's a little bit more ambi- ambiguity in this film let's talk a little bit about the ending
0: oh yeah we i think
1: we have to yeah, there's an ambiguous ending to this movie where they all get end up taken. Max has this moment with Krampus where he's like apologizing for losing his Christmas spirit and he wants to go back and get one more chance. And well, he's Krampus, offering himself to Krampus. He has the single right? tear. Yeah, he's offer he sacrifices himself right. to Krampus, or he offers to. And Krampus kind of brings a spindly little finger, <laughs> and, yeah. hideous finger up to uh, Max's face and like wipes the tear away. And then they all just start snickering at him and he gets taken anyway.
0: God, he God didn't lick him. Shit. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah but no he saved that for grandma oh
0: but yeah, no but uh
1: the next thing you know max wakes up and it's a normal christmas morning everyone seems kind of happy downstairs and everything's kind of normal and he was like oh my gosh it was all a dream this is the part, point of the movie where I was like oh brother they're not gonna do it was all a dream trope are they because i hate that
0: and god i mean because like that would have been like the worst idea to because everyone was so happy and a loving family and if he had just gone to bed the night before and woke up to that that wouldn't make a damn bit of sense you know so yeah
1: but then he opens a gift and it's the Krampus ornament a bauble. yeah I hate that word bobble bobble yeah so ugh, anyway so it opens it and you can tell everyone slowly with visual storytelling you see that everyone realizes that everything actually happened the night before everyone's whoever didn't remember it is remembering it that's right and everyone kind of has that sick realization they have that, 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 that
0: happened. so like uh, an inner voiceover of what they had said and they you know what was supposed to have been the nightmare we're thinking when he wakes up and right? before they can really react to that
1: or discuss it at all the camera kind of zooms out past the house and then zooms out and you can see the house is actually in a snow globe in Krampus's workshop among many, many other snow globes. And so, what I took away from this was like, okay, they're stuck in a loop. Like they're going to be living that day like over and over and over as like a punishment, you know, or like kind of in the stasis. And the other interpretation is that they got a reset. Like he's and he's just watching everyone. The snow globe is just basically crystal a representation ball. of like Christmas, like crystal ball, right? right? Now, Michael Doherty has refused to answer this question because they're both very valid theories. However, there is a tie-in comic called The Shadow of St. Nicholas that kind of confirms the happy ending is the true one. Uh, because unlike his grandmother, Max was brave enough to confront Krampus and prove that he'd learned his lesson by offering to sacrifice himself, which is why Max had his family returned and why the grandmother his grandmothers didn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I, I, mean, I can
0: align to either one. My favorite is where they're kind of stuck. Yeah. I like that one best. But... I mean... I- Far be it from me to want to have an unhappy ending in a Christmas movie, you know, but I really like the idea of them being unsavable and not not just because they didn't do anything to deserve redemption. I just kind of like the idea of once you've given away your Christmas spirit like that, in a sense, in sort of like a Christianity sense too. once you've given away your faith in Christianity, there's there's no going back to it. You're excommunicated, things like that. That's the end of it. They're stuck in Christmas hell. But it's also
1: kind of a trap that the writers kind of put themselves in because Krampus is originally there just to kind of punish naughty children, right? At least that's the current idea or mythology behind Krampus. Not to kill them. Not to be summoned. And then it's just basically a force of nature and where you, everyone just gets kind of sucked into this demonic hole that is the Krampus' workshop or right. snow globes. And because everyone's fair game, it kind of uh, steps away from the mythology a little bit. And so they're kind of forced to say, OK, well, if everyone's involved, either the family has to like learn their lesson and he's kind of a morality tale.
0: I, I mean, you're right, because while the family is is terrible in a sense at Christmas time, either to each other, to themselves or just not acting in a sort of a, a Christmassy way. You have characters like the baby who didn't do anything to deserve anything like that. Mm-hmm. And yet, I mean, the baby is taken just like everybody else. Yeah, and they actually—I don't—I
1: I don't remember what happened with the baby. Just one of the elves grabbed the baby. and I slept? think so. I
0: mean, because that, that was like one of those quick wrap It Was scenes. a very chaotic scene. Yeah, the they elves take like, are like three or four elves people at once. Like jump in and then they There's... just grab everybody, right? Yeah. So it was just an easy way for them to sort of wrap that up, I suppose. Um, which we need to start doing because we have some questions, Chris. We do. We do. Um, so is Krampus a horror movie? I would say most definitely. I completely agree. I think that in true Michael Doherty fashion, he has shown immense love not only to holiday horror, but just holiday staples in general. And he really shows like a dark side of a modern family Christmas, even without the creatures involved. That's true. Uh, plus the influences, things like demonic toys, gremlins, aliens, all, tremors, all these things that we talked about. Again, he just really g- grabs his love of horror and throws all he can into one movie. For example, we forgot to talk about that crystal ball. Apparently uh, one of those snow globes, as they're panning away from the angles home. There's another one that you can see that has the, the Bates house and motel in it. So apparently Krampus is also watching Norman Bates. <laughs>
1: So oh, I well, don't. That's
0: nice. So I mean, it's just things like that that he does in his movies that just really make it. Yeah, that's a whole Norman film. Bates's crime: no Christmas spirit. Yeah, that's <laughs> his biggest. <laughs> he just wants a wig for Christmas. Um, and number two, were you scared in this movie? Um, the snowmen kind of creeped me out, but other than that, no. Not Yeah. Really. I mean, this is one of those times that I can categorically say that I wasn't scared. I mean, like in a sense, I mean, in real life, I know that Christmas has some scary things and it's it's hard to watch movies like this and not sort of think back to your own family sometimes, right? <laughs> or put yourself in that situation, but it's not really scary. Well, I think I'm too old now to
1: really just like,
0: because when I'm watching these
1: things, like sometimes the most scary thing is like, Oh my god, they're shooting a shotgun inside the house. You know how expensive that (laughs) fireplace is gonna be to
0: repair? Stop shooting the ceiling. We were watching this movie together for once. It doesn't happen very often. And Chris and I both jumped at one of the jump scares because we jumped at the exact same time. And I was just like, Thank God I wasn't the only one. (laughs) I was just like, Jesus. What scene was that? I can't even remember. There's one part that I jump at and I, I jumped alone. And then later on there was something that sort of comes out, and you and I both like, Woo! Like out of our seat a little bit. So Might have been in the attic or something. Possibly, yeah. I think. Something just jumps out at you. I mean, I love a good jump scare. I love a good gross out. And so they get me every damn time. Might
1: have been the, the Krampus tongue lick.
0: Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind being licked, but that's one tongue I'm going to say no to. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, and probably most importantly, Chris, who's the hottest guy in Krampus. Gosh.
1: Oh, Santa. No, Krampus. <laughs> the elves. That's a long tongue. I just can't. <laughs> no,
0: I just can't say no.
1: Elf number 2. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, i'm gonna have to say adam scott yeah again i mean like we're getting to these places where there's either no choices or just a handful right we really need to find a movie with more men in it um <laughs> so we got adam scott we yeah. got uh uh who else david ketchner you know which is no <laughs> i mean he makes me laugh and i guess that's kind of ironically but... he's probably
1: more our type <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, no. well he's the one i can get in real life i'm sure <laughs> But Adam Scott also makes me laugh, and I'm kind of a sucker for a hot nerd. The one thing I don't like about him in this movie is the hideous fucking neck beard that he's got going on. You know? I didn't notice that. Like, dude, either grow it out more have or shave the neck beard I have a very off. low tolerance for neck beards. Oh, he's got some heavy neck beard going on. It is not acceptable. Oh, okay. Adam Scott's the winner, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't seen him or his glorious neck beard, just do a little search on Google and you'll find it. Well, guys, uh, so we're filled with the Christmas spirit, and I think that we have covered just about everything we can in Krampus. Uh, but there's a few more things that we need to talk about before we head out into the Christmas night.
1: So hopefully you guys caught our November episodes of Annabelle and our top 10 cursed objects. We got a lot of uh, Patreon episodes out. Yeah,
0: we've yeah. Uh, we've covered hot takes on um, A Star Was Born and Suspiria recently, as well as our sequel ideas for Annabelle and uh, Brightest Swim Award for Best Actor, which we need your help deciding, so give that a listen. And just like
1: we mentioned earlier in the episode, we have a new segment that we're testing on Patreon called Entrails of the Scene, where we talk about kind of formative scenes in horror that really got our juices flowing when we were just getting into horror, or
0: anything, uh, even, even recent scenes, that just really affected us. That's right. We really take a deep dive into these scenes, talk about how they were created, How they affected us, how they affected pop culture or mass audiences at large. Uh, In November, we did a scene from The Birds and Chris mentioned a scene from Critters. That's right. So go check that out.
1: Yeah, let us know what you think. What's coming up on Patreon is our sequel ideas for Krampus.
0: That's oh, gonna be good. As well as our best composer, and we're gonna be doing a hot take on the highly anticipated, at least in my little gay heart, the horror musical Christmas comedy, Anna and the Apocalypse. Yes, we're gonna try and do a hot take and get that out to you as soon as we can. That's right. So head over to Patreon, give those a listen, tell us what you think. For as little as two bucks, you get all that bonus content, and if you jump up to the five dollar tier, you'll get episodes like Krampus all of our top tens sometimes weeks in advance. That's true. So, And that's patreon.com slash the film That's right. Also coming up in December you can hear a very special episode that we have coming for you featuring the guys at Cocktail Party Massacre. Yep. Brick and Pickle. We're going to have <laughs> we're going to have just a good old-fashioned Christmas cocktail party and talk about some of our favorite holiday Christmas horror movies. In addition to that holiday Christmas cocktail party with those guys, we're going to be contestants to be final girls on their show Cocktail Party Massacre. Yeah, so check that out. That's right. We're going to be competing with Pickens in a series of trivia questions about the movie Poltergeist. Mm -hmm. Something we've discussed in this episode and probably future ones.
1: Well, we've been going on and on about our holiday spirit, so let's give a shout out to another podcast that we've been listening a lot to lately called Relic. Here's their promo. Who stole some of history's most famous paintings from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum? Where is the lost Dutchman's mine, and how come so many people who go looking for it never seem to come back? Relic, the Lost Treasure podcast's second season, investigates the mysteries behind unsolved artifact crimes and goes in search of lost treasures with very sinister reputations. You can catch all of season one now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most streaming platforms. New episodes release every other Wednesday of the month at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also follow me, Maxwell, on Twitter at Lost Treasure Pod. The adventure continues.
0: Guys, Relic is a fantastic show. Maxwell talks about all these lost artifacts and sometimes pieces of art. He
1: goes into the history and the archaeology, and he goes really deep dive sometimes. And it's it's a really fun
0: listen. It is. He does his research, guys. So check him out. As always, guys, we really appreciate all the listens. You can find us on social media at The Film Flamers on Twitter and Facebook. Where else can they find us, Chris? You can email us at TiredQueens at FilmFlamers.com. That's right. We're available pretty much wherever you get podcasts. And guys, if you listen to our show and you like us, send us this feedback, but also go and give us a review, rate, and subscribe to these places. It really helps us as a small beginner podcast, and it lets us know what you like and what you don't like. We always take this feedback seriously, and, um, you know, we can... Talk to you about it. See if we can make some changes as needed. Yeah. That's right. Um, So next month, January, we have, um, in my opinion, one of the best horror movies ever made. Chris, which one are we doing?
1: Rosemary's Baby. Ooh. New year, new baby,
0: new movie. That's right. (laughs) Well, old movie. (laughs) (laughs) New year, new baby, old movie. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, It's a Roman Polanski fever dream, guys. So go watch that and get ready for that episode dropping in January. And until next time, Chris. Sweet. Merry Dream. Christmas. Oh. What? It's Christmas it's, time. Oh. oh my god, you're right. Oh god. Okay, let's do this one more time, Chris, okay? Yeah.
1: <sighs> Merry Sweet Christmas.
0: Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year, motherfucker. <laughs>